The book of 2 Samuel, if you would, I'm going to draw just a short uh, portion of this text. And then I would like to draw your attention to Psalms 122. Psalms 122, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you're there, say amen. amen. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back before the presence of the Lord back into uh, Jerusalem, where it belongs. And uh, the Bible said that David would stop every six paces and that they would uh, offer sacrifice unto the Lord. And I want to draw our text today from 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14. I'm not going to go crazy deep into the context of the chapter today. But 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14, if you would join me there, and if you're there, say amen. Amen. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Psalms 122, if you would please. Psalms 122 and verse number 1. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Was anybody glad this morning that you're in the house of the Lord? <laughs> Praise God. It's Father's Day, and we want to honor each and every father in the house. There is a unique dynamic when it comes to pastoring that you always feel this this strange pressure on Mother's Day to preach something motherly and on Father's Day to preach something fatherly and at Christmas season to preach something sparkling and glittery and full of joy and cheer. Every year at Easter, you're supposed to preach the resurrection. Now, Bishop Billy McCool said he learned better than that. He said because every year at Easter, people would show up that hadn't shown up since Christmas. He said, so at Easter, what I started doing is preaching three minutes of the resurrection and 35 minutes on faithfulness. <laughs> but today, on Father's Day, I'm going to preach to you a message that if you'll, if you'll let me help you today, I'm going to try to help you. But this is what I'm going to preach for Father's Day 2019. Are you ready? Everybody's ready for Father's Day message 2019. Are you ready? Daddy can't dance for me. Daddy can't dance for me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. I ask that we would be led by the Spirit of God today, that your word would speak crystal clear. God, let it happen in this house today. Let somebody leave here encouraged, charged up, full of faith. And we're going to thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Let the church say amen. May be seated. Daddy can't dance for me. King David, honest to goodness, you could start teaching or preaching about King David and spend an entire year and never touch the massive amounts of information that are in the scripture. 
Do you realize that King David has more written in him uh, about him in the Bible than any other man second only to Jesus Christ? And if the four Gospels did not speak so much of Christ, Messiah coming, uh, as it does, King David would actually have more about him in the Scripture than the Messiah himself. King David is enveloped uh, pretty much in every story from, from the time of his introduction to us all the way through in some way, shape, or form, whether it be by his sons, his children, his failure, his ability to rise again, his ability to worship when nobody was applauding him, his ability to lead uh, as a leader under scrutiny, his ability to um, be praised by the people and it not affect his ego. Uh, and then when it does affect his ego, he repents for that and he falls before the Lord. His ability to love his children through their failures for when his own son had made a mistake and fallen in love with his half-sister and a child was conceived out of that terrible relationship. The Bible leads us to understand that it's not that David agreed with what he did, but that he loved his son so much he had difficulty to chasten his spirit, to grieve the spirit of his son. And you could see the love of the father in David that he loved. And you could see the heartbreak in David when Absalom led revolt because of what his brother had done. And David, instead of staying within the walls of the city and going toe-to-toe and hand-to-hand and fist-to-fist with Absalom. He fled the city because he loved his son, and he was heartbroken when his son died. And you could see the regret and the pain and the brokenness on the brow of David when the illegitimate child was born to Bathsheba, and he looked around. The Bible said that he saw his servants and said the child had died. And it was so grievous for David that the Bible said that he sat down on the earth and he covered himself in ashes and he wept and he repented and then he got up and the scripture leads us to know that he washed his face and he went and he worshiped before the Lord David was a man that taught us no matter how many times you fall down if you'll get back up God will honor a repentant heart I tell you today that I believe the demise of many good men has been their own worst enemy. And their own worst enemy has been themselves. We are quick to uh, tell others, you need to get up and move on beyond your failure and just keep on loving the Lord. We're quick to sit down with our children and tell them, this will not be your last mistake. And God will honor it if you'll get up and dust yourself off and move on. But for some reason... It's like we have the faith to believe that God can forgive everybody else and deal with everybody else. But when it comes to God forgiving me, I've always got a difficulty believing that there's mercy enough for God to forgive me. But I feel like telling somebody this morning that the reason King David has so much written about him is that he was a man pursuing the heart of God or a man after the heart of God. And we see it in his spirit to be able to be looked into his eyes by 
the prophet Nathan, when he looked at him and said, you are the man that is guilty of sin. And to repent of that before the Lord and say that my failure is not final. My failure is not where I'm going to live. But I will go in unto Bathsheba. I will marry her. I will love her. And there we will produce a future. It's the ability of a man to bury the past and marry the present and produce a future that God can take the heart of that man and do something with him in the kingdom of God I would dare say today and not even with a prophetic utterance on my tongue but because I know people that there are folks sitting in this room right now that do not feel worthy to be used of God. You don't feel worthy to be in the house of God today. You don't feel worthy to be anointed of God. But I feel like telling you today that the purpose of Calvary was not because I was worthy. It was not because I was perfect. Calvary is not because I was the cream of the crop and the elite of the elite. Calvary did not happen because I had it all together. Calvary happened because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And the Lord robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. They stretched him wide. They hung him high. They beat his brow. They, they pierced him. I'm telling you, they did everything they could to mock him. And the words came out of his mouth, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Calvary was all about you. Calvary was about your failure. Calvary is because you were not perfect. Perfect. Calvary was because you didn't deserve it. Grace and mercy have never been about what I deserve. Grace of God is His unmerited favor. So the easiest way to say that is great grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. But his mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Did you follow me on that? His grace is giving me what I don't deserve. His kindness, unmerited favor. But his mercy is God lifting the hand of judgment over me that I did deserve. His grace gives me a chance to come before him today and love him and bless him. But his mercy gives me the opportunity in the house of the Lord to make right what I have wronged. His mercy reaches down to us in the house of the Lord today. And when justice demands that we should die and justice demands that we should pay the price, his mercy looks down on us today and says, No, the reason that I robed myself in flesh and was crucified and hung on a cross is because I love them enough to not let them die In their failure. You know, after a while, if we're not careful, mercy and grace become common language to us. And it's kind of like the Ark of the Covenant. It can dwell so long in our house that it just becomes a common piece of furniture to us. And when it becomes unstable, we don't have a problem trying to touch it. And so we get so, so used to grace and mercy that when we speak of it, it's as though we speak of it with disrespect. Well, his grace will cover me so I can do what I want to do. 
When I was a boy, they used to say that right there is skating on thin ice with hot ice skates. There is a sloppy agape religious spirit in the earth that has done the biggest disservice and injustice to mankind that I believe has ever been done in the church age. And it is the abuse of the grace and the mercy of God that allows you to stay in your condition, not being forgiven of your sins and Baptism that was to be for the remission of sin has now just become a public profession of an inward faith. We fill up swimming pools and put them on our platforms and in our sanctuaries and in our churches and we just get everybody we can to jump in the pool and go public for Jesus. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. I'm not looking to come out of the closet for Jesus. I'm pretty happy to be a son of God. I'm pretty happy that he redeemed me and called me by his name and put his name on me. I'm not interested today in just getting baptized so I can let the world know I love Jesus. We make people believe that God wants them to be so happy that he will accept them as they are, keep them as they are, and if they'll just come to church, put their money in, that's basically them paying their membership fee to grace. I feel like laying this out on the table and letting you know this morning, mercy does not have a membership. (laughs) The same mercy that's extended to you and I today, now this is fixing to get controversial for some folks, but I want to tell you that mercy doesn't just visit a certain kind of people. The mercy that was extended to you was extended to Hitler. The same mercy that's extended to you today was extended to cold-hearted people who could take innocent folks and bring them into concentration camps and put them into furnaces and put them into gas chambers and bury them by the Thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions. You realize Calvary was for those people. Woo-wee. Calvary is not just for the child that's born into the apostolic home. Calvary is not just for those that really their family is going to make sure that they have no need of anything. You know what? If it was possible for moms and dads to buy enough mercy for kids, I am convinced right now that some folks would rather pay their kids' way to Calvary than they would to let them learn to love Jesus on their own. But you can't buy salvation for your wife. You can't buy salvation for your husband. You can't buy salvation for your children. You can't buy salvation for your nieces and your nephews. No, no. You can't do it. You can't buy salvation for your mother or your father. The same way that I receive mercy and you receive mercy is the same way they're going to receive mercy. You've got to make a cognizant decision in your own heart that if I'm going to serve the Lord, it's not going to be by accident. And if I make it to heaven, it's not going to be by accident. Somebody said to me some time ago, we were in a conversation, 
They were trying to justify a doctrine that I'm, I'm not going to go into today. I don't have time to talk about it. We've talked about it some on our Wednesday night Bible studies. But it's basically a, a convenience doctrine that says, what if people don't know about God? Then what happens? My, my only response to that is Jesus himself said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he can't enter or see the kingdom of heaven. And I've got to believe that. I, I'm, I just have to believe that because it's a book. And they said to me, they said, well, what about people that are far removed? Maybe they're on an island somewhere and they've never heard the message preached. What about that? And I began to explain to them story after story of people in the Middle East that in a dream or a vision, a man appears to them and says, I'm Jesus Christ. And today, right now, in, our, in some of our churches, churches that I've preached in, Brother Lang has preached in. We have people right now visiting our churches in the Middle East, moving from Syria and Saudi Arabia and different places. And when they come to visit our churches, what they're saying is, the Lord appeared to me in a dream. And I've been there when we baptized them. I have personally baptized them in Jesus' name and seen them receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I've been there when it happens. There are men that have been walking through uh, one particular story. Brother Lang may be familiar with this. If it is, he could tell it better than I can. One, one man was walking through the jungle of India some 1,200 miles away from the apostolic missionary and found laying there on the floor of the jungle in, in amidst all the stuff on a walking path, a track. And the track had information about salvation. And on the back of it, it had the name of a UPC missionary that uh, Brother Lang has worked with for many years. And that gentleman took that track and traveled all the way to the city where that man lived and knocked on the door and called him by name and said, are you a so-and-so? He said, I am. He said, I found this. He said, where'd you find it? And he told him he found it on the floor of the jungle. He picked up the track and followed it all the way to the house of that preacher. The details are not today the focus of what I'm telling you. The idea is that mercy has a way of getting to you and finding you wherever you are. It doesn't matter to me if you were born in a third world country. It doesn't matter to me if your grandfather and grandmother have never heard this truth. You're sitting in the house of the Lord today. You're watching on the internet today. Somebody somewhere has prayed a prayer that's opened up a door for you to be able to hear this message that I'm preaching to you right now. That's how much he cares for you. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out here today because I, I want to get some things I want to get some things established. Has anybody ever read the story about the guy that preached to Abram? When Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees? Anybody ever read that? Did you see in, in the scripture? He attended a mega church. And a mega church pastor told him, he said, Abram, the best thing you could do is get out of your land and leave your kindred. Anybody read that? I must have got the NIV or something. Because One thing for sure, he, t he didn't tell him to live his best life now. That's for sure. Does anybody know how Abram was challenged to leave the life that he lived? It wasn't a missionary. Mercy sought him out 
and individually called him by name. He did not attend a tent meeting. He did not go into town and there was a local TV evangelist that had made his way. Absolutely not. Abram was called out by the voice of God and delivered by the hand of God. What I'm trying to get into your spirit today is that you don't have to be some kind of special person that has access to the upper echelon of Christianity for mercy to get down where you're living and touch your life. Has anybody read in the New Testament, it's really neat, has anybody read in the New Testament where Saul, the accuser of the brethren, was, was there that day when Jesus was doing miracles and healing blinded eyes and setting the captives free? Anybody read that? Did, he, did anybody read on the day of Pentecost? It was cool. They let Saul come in. There was actually 121. They let Saul come into the upper room that day, and he was there to hear Peter preach about that. Anybody read that? No? That's a different version? Well, how about this story then? Does anybody remember when Saul was riding on a road and a great light comes out of heaven? You, is it, that, that must be the story you read. Because what I, now, 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 hang on just a second here. There's an issue with this story because Jesus has already ascended. And he asked the question, he says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Can I tell you there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all. Through all and in you all. Saul was not converted by a local radio evangelist. He was converted when mercy spoke to him in the worst condition of his life. Paul was a Benjamite. He was a Jew. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned there. And there's a good possibility at some point in his life that he had perhaps crossed paths, some believe, with Jesus. I don't know. But I do know this much. The time that we have recorded in the scripture that mercy crossed his path, he was smart enough to recognize in that moment that mercy has a better way for me than the way that I've been living. If you're going to join hands with mercy today, it's going to be because something gets a hold of your heart and you make a decision right here, right now, today, that it's always better with mercy. So stay with me. So what about people then, Pastor, who don't have the kind of pedigree they need To be a child of God. But for one thing, I haven't quite found that pedigree yet. You know, I don't say this today at all to bring up people's past, but our guests that are here worshiping with us, the people that are watching on the internet today, there's something you need to know about this church. 
I'm, I'm just being sincere with you. There's something you need to know about this church. All these dressed up pretty people here today have not always been dressed up pretty people. You know that in this church right here, in this local assembly right here, we've got drug addicts, alcoholics, gang members, adulterers, fornicators. But mercy came to them not in their best condition, in their worst condition. I could never be a part of a church like that, Pastor. I'm telling you, you got, man, you got good, good people in that church. I've seen them. Their neckties are pretty. They're dressed up looking nice. I'm telling you, I know those people are too good for me. I dare you, I dare you to go to any church that's alive and well and moving and try to find a testimony that outdoes the ones that's sitting on the pew. There are people in this house today, you hear me right now, that have had guns in their mouth about to take their life. They've had guns to their head. They've had razor blades to their wrist. I'm talking about in the worst condition of their lives. But mercy reached down and said, that is what I'm reaching for. Right there, that, right there. That's who I'm reaching for, right there. Time ago, my dad had a gentleman on his heart that he had been praying for, and the Holy Ghost told him, he said, call him right now and pray for him. Call him right now. And my dad picked up the phone and called, and the guy didn't answer the phone, so he just thought, I don't know, maybe I missed the Lord, or maybe he was busy, I, I, I don't know. But it was just a short time later that gentleman called my dad back, and he said, Bishop, I'm sorry that I didn't answer the phone. He said, but what you need to know is I had gone to the liquor store, and I had a gallon of wine. He said, I was sitting there drinking my last gallon of wine he said I was going to finish it off I was not in my right mind he said but when you called me my phone was sitting next to me and I had a 44 magnum in my mouth getting ready to pull the trigger he said I looked down at my phone and the screen lit up and the screen said Bishop St. Clair on it he said I knew right then that God wasn't finished with me yet and that oh I feel like mercy's reaching for somebody I've come to tell you today that you have believed the lie of the devil long enough that you're not worthy, you don't deserve it, you don't deserve his grace, you don't deserve his mercy. Well, welcome to the club. None of us deserve it, but he made us worthy through Calvary. (laughs) Some of you are so focused on where you've been That you won't let the Holy Ghost show you where you can go. Man, I I feel the drawing of the Holy Ghost here today. I'm I'm reaching for somebody. It doesn't matter to me if they're watching online or or you're sitting in this room right now. The Holy Ghost wants somebody to know that you've got to make up your mind today to quit letting the devil beat your brains out over all of your failures and over all your faults. He has absolutely no right today to accuse you of that. Just think about this. Your accusations come from somebody that can never reap the benefits and rewards of Calvary. 
And the reason he hates you so bad is because you can. I look around this house today, and I, I'm, not, I'm not digging up. I'm, I don't have my hands in the blood. Y'all know that. I'm just saying. There are people in this house today that if it wouldn't have been for the, the hand of the Lord, the mercy of God, this church family, their families wouldn't be together, wouldn't be alive. Their children wouldn't be alive. But the hand of God. Mm. But the hand of God reached further down than they could ever go. You just think you're in the lowest pit there's ever been. But I'm telling you that mercy can reach further down than you could ever go. I'm just, I'm not the kind of person that God can use. Well, I want to tell you a little something about people that have a bad rap. I want to tell you something about people that have a terrible, terrible lineage, pedigree, that does not line up with religious royalty. And one of those people today is the man that I began to preach to you about in our sermon on this Father's Day today. We know him as King David. We know him as King David. But the peers and friends of King David's father and their family knew them as a lineage of bastard children that had no rights to Yahweh. If you really want to get technical about it, as you start going through the scripture, Matthew 1 and Ruth 4 are in full agreement that King David is exactly 10 generations away from Judah who made a mistake. And there was a bastard child born. I'm not, I'm not using that loosely. I'm telling you the scripture. In Deuteronomy 23 and 2, why does this matter? Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 2, it's written in the scripture that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Another way that we can translate this word bastard in the scripture is a mistake was made. A child born out of the union of a marriage. Something that should have never, ever happened. And Judah makes a mistake. But read it in your Bible. In Matthew chapter 1. And Ruth chapter 4. It was Judah and Tamar that committed sexual sin. And a child by the name of Perez was born. And Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. Count it for yourself. 
from Judah to David was exactly ten generations. And Deuteronomy 23 and 2 said that for ten generations because of Judah's mistake that they could not enter into the congregation of the Lord. But David said in Psalms 122 and 1, I was glad when they said unto me. Because right now the failure of my great-grandfather ten generations removed cannot touch me. It doesn't matter what my daddy was. It doesn't matter what my granddaddy was. I was glad when they said unto me. There's so much more to this chapter. I understand it's about the feast of the Lord. I understand it was about entering to the beautiful gates of Jerusalem and standing in the city. But David was testifying to a fact that he was able to do what nobody before him was able to do in his family. Can I tell you right now, your lineage does not matter to God today. Mercy has reached down in this house right now. I don't care what they've been for 10 generations. You can be in the house of the Lord. (laughs) What I'm saying to you this morning, church family, is that Jesse never taught David how to dance. David was not taught by his father how to play a harp and sing unto the Lord on the hillside. David was not taught by his father how to ascend to the holy city. David was not taught by his father what it meant to be worthy to enter into the congregation of the righteous. As a matter of fact, when the Lord came seeking out a king through Samuel, when Samuel came to the house of Jesse, Jesse said, oh, there is one more left. But I'm not real sure he's what you're looking for. Samuel said, these are not all your boys. Is that what you're telling me? He said, no, these, these seven, they're, they're not. But surely they, they've got to be in this, in this group. This is, these are my good-looking boys. They've got to have it. And, and Samuel said, well, t- tell me about this other boy. Where is he at? He, well, he's just out in the field keeping my sheep. He's taking care of his father's business. And Samuel said, you send for him, and we will not sit down until he comes. And when David got there, the Bible said that Samuel took that horn of oil and dumped it out over his head. Can I tell you right then, it was irrelevant of whether or not his father believed in him. Well, my dad has never believed in me, Pastor. My parents didn't believe me. My my folks, they they never encouraged me. They never said anything good to me. Can I tell you right now that the heart of David arises out of a picture that sometimes you encourage yourself in the Lord when there's nobody around to believe in you and there's nobody around to tell you how good you're doing. Don't you forget for one moment that whether Jesse believed in him or not, that did not affect the oil that was dripping from his head. Somebody needs to buy into the idea today. You've been anointed whether your haters like it or not. (laughs) 
The Bible said that something was in the heart of David, that he was so tired of the glory of God not being in the holy city of Jerusalem. And he went to the house of Obed and he picked up the Ark of the Covenant and he brought it back to the gates of Jerusalem. And as they brought it every six paces, they would stop and offer sacrifice and he would dance before the Lord. Can I tell you right now that his daddy wasn't dancing for him? His daddy couldn't worship for him. David made the decision decision no matter what my daddy did I'm going to dance let me break it down Gerber style for you and just get this in your heart right here I'm, I'm finished what I'm saying to you today with all the kindness that's mustered in my soul and my spirit right now is that whether the glory of God came back to Israel or not David could not blame that on his father. You will not stand before God Almighty on judgment day and be able to look him in the eye and say, Oh, great God of heaven and earth, the reason that I didn't serve you is because my father did not believe in me. I can't worship, Lord, because my daddy didn't teach me to dance. I can't worship you, Lord, because my daddy didn't teach me to play the harp. I feel like encouraging somebody in the Holy Ghost today. That whatever Jesse did or did not do is irrelevant when it comes to the fact that David was a man after God's own heart. Listen, here's the transition in the mindset. Whether my earthly father believes in me or not, my heavenly father does. I have not been sent to this earth to please the fathers of men. But I have a commission and a mandate to please my heavenly father. Let's stand together. There's a man in the scripture by the name of Manoah. Manoah and his wife received a visitation from an angel. Out of that visitation, there was a child born named Samson. Samson was a man that was supposed to have taken a vow of separation unto the Lord. But the name Manoah actually means weak, restful, weak, as in W-E-A-K, weak, anemic, not able to take a stand. It was the voice of a father that was so weak he wouldn't speak into the life of his boy. That allowed Samson to feel justified in his actions. Watch this now. Well, Pastor, I don't know about that because they took a stand against him marrying the Philistine woman. And as soon as they told him no and he decided to do it anyway, guess who traveled with him to the wedding? The weakness of Manoah. Manoah and his wife took Samson to give his hand in marriage to a woman that they said don't marry. It's not enough for us as men to tell our children, you need to be faithful to the house of God. We need to take our children by the hand and lead them to the house of God. Pastor, my kids don't have a father in the house that will stand. I understand, Mama, you're carrying a load, and I honor you on this Father's Day for being a great dad. I want to tell you right now, if we'll do our part and teach our children the way, 
they'll never be able to stand before God and say, it's my dad's fault that I have not lived for the Lord. I'm reaching today for somebody who is willing to say in this house, Pastor, I may not have the right pedigree. I may not be the right person that God could put his hand on. My dad really has never believed in me. But today in this house, you feel like the Lord is reaching for you and has put his hand on your life. I want you to step out from where you are today in full confidence knowing that your heavenly father loves you so much that he gave his life for you. In the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter number 3 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. I want you to read this with me. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. Who did John say it was that laid down his life? Yeah, but God is a spirit. Spirit can't die. So how does God lay down his life for me? God robes himself in flesh. Dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. As of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Because the almighty God of the Old Testament. Would lay down his life for somebody who does not deserve it. Whose father may have never taught them the way. But your daddy can't dance for you. If you're going to serve the Lord today, it's going to be because you made up in your mind whatever it costs me. And no matter what they say about me, I'm going to give God the best that I can give him. And I'm going to live for the Lord for the rest of my life. If it's your desire today to please the Lord, would you reach up to heaven right now? Just you and Jesus right now. Just you and Jesus right now.